Well, good morning, everybody, and, and welcome to the Compass Church. Uh, it is so good to be together. This adventure of following God and charting our course, it's a joy to do it with you. I see the passion to follow God wherever he may lead in so many of your eyes, and to walk shoulder to shoulder and to journey with him is a real joy. You know, uh, this series, uh, I kicked it off a couple weeks ago using an illustration of my great-grandfather while at sea. He was a Norwegian sailor. and Some asked, how did you know that story about him saving the day by stepping up and charting the course? And I was blessed. He, my my great-grandfather actually wrote it down. And so I have a small autobiographical description of his adventures at sea, which all of us in the family have really enjoyed reading. He not only included stories about himself at sea, but his father. My, my great-grandfather, his name was Soren Sorensen. His father, my great-great-grandfather, was Jorgen Sorensen. Boy, those Norwegians had good names, huh? Jorgen Sorensen. And uh, I wanted to share with you one of Jorgen's stories, the the year was 1913, so over 100 years ago, January the 15th, I'm sorry, January the 21st. Winter up in Norway is very cold. And he got onto a boat, actually, at this point in his career, Jorgen, my great-great-grandfather, was a veteran sailor and actually the captain of a ship called Agda with a crew of 15 and Agda was sailing from Norway south, you know, it goes through the North Sea, east of England, if you can think of the map. And they were headed, going to go all the way down to Rio de Janeiro over in South America with a huge load, very loaded down boat with cobblestone and iron. But as they went along the eastern coast of England, my great-grandfather knew he was in treacherous waters, a couple miles off the coast, yet there were, there were rocky shoals that were shallow that could destroy a boat if it hit them. And so he had to chart his course carefully. And so he had his map laid out where the dangerous parts were. And unfortunately, the map was obsolete. Some new lighthouses had been built along the coast of England, and they had not this was an old map that didn't have them. And so he was looking at the map where the old lighthouses were. And as a result of a bad map, he had a bad course. And he ran straight into one of these rocky shoals, tore, ripped the boat apart. And very quickly on that wintry night, his boat started sinking. And he and the entire crew of 15 jumped in their only lifeboat. And unfortunately, that night was very wavy, and that lifeboat with 15 sailors could not stay right side up in those big waves. The first wave hit it and flipped them over, and all 15 of them fell into the January icy waters. Can you imagine that taking your breath away? Well, frantically, they worked together in that water to right-size their lifeboat. And then some uh, managed to climb in and then help the others on. But by the time they all got on, their number of 15 had been reduced to 12. And three of them were lost in those icy waters. And the boat capsized again and again and again. 
Four times that night, the boat capsized, and these sailors struggled to right-side it and climb back in. And each time, their crew was reduced as they lost more men. And it was on the second capsizing that Captain Jorgen Sorensen, my great-great-grandfather, slipped beneath the waters to an icy grave. And so my great-grandfather died at sea because of a wrong course. You know, a tragic story, not nearly as inspiring and pleasant as the one I shared a couple weeks ago of victory, but again, it illustrates that the course means everything. And it's true of the church too. If we are on the wrong course, the results can be deadly. Let me illustrate. I was a part of a church many, many years ago. In fact, it was my very first job at a church as a youth pastor. And their priorities were, let me put them up here, they had seen other churches utilize these strategies to great effect, and so they said, practical messages don't have to be particularly biblically rich, just real practical. Secular music, you know, stuff people hear on the radio, play at a church. Funny skits, direct mail, they, they spent a lot of money sending mail, inviting people to church. Now, I want to just quickly add, none of these things are wrong, none of them are evil. But does Scripture lay these out as the course to a healthy church and vibrant, growing Christians? No. What was the result? That church took off. I think the direct mail was powerfully effective. And we boasted and bragged that we were the fastest-growing church in America for a window. Shot from a small group of people up to 800 in attendance. It was unbelievable. But you know what happened? We hit a peak, and it started to decline. The people, you know, at first, they were like, these skits are hilarious, and then they grew old. The people said, these messages are so practical, but they were not encountering the God of the Scriptures in a way that transformed their lives. And so eventually, with a lack of substantive soul transformation, the people lost interest, and that church hit a free fall. I mean, we had rocketed up to 800, and we did a free fall where the people just started leaving. And do you know, we we had to close that church down. It died. It just goes to show that this this course business, the plan, the priorities of how we're going to do life as a church is so important. And we are basing our course on the Word of God. We are saying, Jesus, Captain Pilot me. Jesus, Lord, you lead us. Show us in your Word what you desire the priorities of the local church to be so that we can follow your infinite wisdom. Well, let's replace these with what our priorities are. Do you remember? Pursue, connect, serve, reach. Pursue him daily. Seek the face of God in Bible and prayer. I covered that week one. Last week, the campus pastors taught about the importance of connect in community. Uh, It is so important that the church not be a show you attend, but a family you belong to. And so with groups, whether they be small groups, mid-sized groups, we are committed to be relationally connected in community. Serve one another is what I get to talk about today. And then the fourth, we'll talk next week, reach your world. 
These are mega themes of the Word of God, and we believe God has called us to prioritize these steps. Are they the only part of the Christian life? No. But they are essentials that we are going to emphasize as Scripture calls us to. The the one I want to talk about today is serve one another. This has to do with finding the unique way God's calling you to contribute to our corporate body, the, the church. God says, I have a role for you to play in serving within the local church. And that is an essential part of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm, I'm excited to go in the Old Testament to study serve one another. And I want to turn to an obscure Old Testament figure that I'm betting you don't know much about. And you say, Jeff, I am a Bible scholar. Try me. All right, I'll try you. How about Shamgar? Shamgar. Did you name your son Shamgar? Probably not. Shamgar is very obscure. In fact, there are only two verses in all the Bible that mention this guy. We're going to study them both. Are you ready? The two verses are found in the book of Judges. And I want to read the first. It is uh, Judges 5, verse 6. simply says, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers took the winding, took to winding paths. All right. So this doesn't even describe Shamgar as much as the days of Shamgar. It describes the environment that he lived in. And what was true of the environment that this guy Shamgar lived in? Well, we know that the highways were abandoned. If you read a little bit of the context, you discover that the reason the highways were abandoned was the Philistines. Remember the Goliath against David? The, The Philistines were the notorious enemies of Israel. They were big, they were strong, they were bullies. And in these days, they had moved in. Their army had marched into Israel, and they were oppressing and abusing God's people. And the army of Israel had dissipated. They were so intimidated by the foes that everybody was running scared. So much so that everybody avoided the highways. You know, they were like, oh, the Philistine soldiers may see us on the highways, so let's not do that. Let's take, you know, the winding pass as a reference to back streets, back roads, side streets. Let's take the little paths. And so people were living in fear at a time when God needed somebody to rise up and courageously fight for his community. No one was willing to do it. Everyone shifted into survival mode. Do you know what survival mode is? That's where it's like, I just am going to worry about myself. I'm not going to worry about any big cause like God's community. I'm just going to focus on making sure that my little life is safe and secure. I'm going to let fear drive me into self-centeredness. You know, let me pose it as a question. Uh, What is the point of life? Uh, The point of life, is it survival or significance? In the days of Shamgar, there was a great need for significance. There was a need for people to stand up and say, I will risk it all 
for the people of God. I will fight against this enemy. But people weren't doing that. People were instead choosing survival. They said, mind your own business. Don't get involved. Take the back roads. Play it safe. And today, there's a lot of folks who would say life is scary. And the goal in life is simply to arrive safely, what, at death. And that's how some many live. Don't get involved in some great and significant cause like the Church of Jesus Christ. Don't, you know, people who are committed to survival, look at all of you who serve. And we have tons of people in our church who serve regularly. And they say, look at them. They're, they're laboring for out, without pay. They're not getting paid. Why are you giving yourself to this significant cause? This is a scary times. You need to focus all your energy on yourself. But many in our church say, no, I don't want to just arrive safely at death. I want to give myself to the Christ who gave himself on the cross for me. I choose a risky life of investment in the significant internal cause of God. Well, in the days of Shamgar, people were very self-focused, fear-based. Don't get involved was the mentality, except for Shamgar. He was a beautiful exception. Ready for the other verse, the one other verse? Uh, So, judges, you know, you should be looking in your Bibles. If if you don't have your uh, own Bible, grab the Pew Bible, would you? Uh, Page 242 was our first verse. Um, Judges 5, 6. Now we're looking at Judges 3, verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, here he is again, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Here we finally get a description of what he did. He too saved Israel. (laughs) Wow. Shamgar attacked. He said, I can't handle inactivity and hiding. I'm getting in the game. And what did he do? He struck down 600 Philistine soldiers by himself. With what? With an ox goad. Do you know what an ox goad is? (laughs) Probably not. I didn't until I researched. This is an ox goad. An ox goad is simply a stick that's been kind of brought to a sharper point, and it was used to goad an ox. To goad means to prod or spur it on. And it was a farmer's tool. In the days of farming, the ox would be pulling the plow, and sometimes the ox would stop. And so the farmer would take his ox goad, and he'd poke him in the rear. and say, come on, keep moving, keep moving. All right? And Shamgar utilized his ox goad. I, 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 just got to imagine this. He's plowing his field, going about his work, sick to his stomach that the people of God are crumbling under the oppressive regime of the Philistines. He's been thinking about it. He's been praying about it. And one day he said, I can be inactive no more. And he said, all right, Philistines, you may take my life, but I will fight for the God I love. And he marched off. He won the day. Well, 
As I think about that moment that he chose to get in the game, it dawns on me that it would have been so easy for Shamgar to buy a couple lies. There's some lies that could have kept him from getting in the game. And you know what? They probably keep a lot of people from getting in the game in our church too. What's the first lie? The first lie is that God only uses professionals. Can we talk about that for a moment? Shamgar was not a professional soldier. He was a professional farmer. We can tell by his tool of choice that he was a farmer. You know, he had an ox goat. That's all he had. This is what he knew. He knew farming. Now, if he had been a professional soldier, he would have had a sword or a spear or a javelin or bows and arrows, some official tool. But the fact that, you know, we would imagine a pitchfork, that he used, you know, a a farming implement indicates that he was a farmer. Now think about it. Shamgar could have looked about and said, where are the soldiers? There are those who have been trained and equipped for fighting. I'm not one. I'm trained and equipped for farming. Let them fight the battle. In fact, that's, he could have assumed that's how God works. God uses professionals who have been trained and equipped for doing that. Uh, he doesn't use a farmer. And yet Samgar, he said, maybe, maybe God does. Maybe God doesn't just use professionals, but maybe he could use me. Now, the same lie permeates the church. Who are the professionals in the church? The professional God servers? That would be me, all right? I'm a pastor. Uh, Daryl, we're pastors. Pastors have been to school and studied Bible and ministry strategy. We have fancy title like reverend. And some people assume, yeah, that's how God works. God advances his cause through professional clergy. And you know what the Bible says? Uh-uh. In fact, let me, let me show you a doctrine, a truth that counteracts this lie. The truth is, the doctrine is, the priesthood of all believers. Have you heard that before? Christians have articulated a biblical teaching with this phrase, and that is this notion of priests and clergy, and priests do the the cool kingdom-advancing service, and the clergy watch the priests do it. No, the Bible says, no, 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 no. In fact, God said, you're all priests equipped and called to serve me. The book of Revelation, let me show you a verse. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. The you is Jesus. The, the people are, are, are shouting, you have made them your people. Jesus has made his people, all of his people, to be priests to serve our God. Another verse says that we are a royal priesthood. A, a community of priests. All Christians have been called to serve the Lord as a priest, if you will. And so God's vision for his people is that they would not be passive of observers, but active participants in the advance of his cause. Isn't that cool? God doesn't say, oh, I work through pastors, the professionals, and I let the laity, that's another way of referring to a non-professional, I let the laity watch. No. God says, I want them all in the game. This uh, truth came to me powerfully 
a couple years back when I was invited to speak at Wheaton College, my alma mater, at one of their chapel services. To be more specific, it was a very unique request. They said, Jeff, why don't you and your father come and speak? My dad's one of the trustees of Wheaton College and also a graduate of the school. And so somebody got the vision and said, wouldn't it be fun if there was like tag team preaching? Jeff and his dad. His dad, a trustee of the school, banker, businessman. Jeff, another alum, but a pastor. And uh, I said, all right, I'm up for it. And I thought, my poor dad, isn't that probably something he's interested in? You know, he's, you know, not a preacher. I mean, that's what I do. You know, this is my profession. And so for that poor guy to have to, you know, follow me is going to be a very awkward. <laughs> you see it coming, don't you? Uh, you you're, you're a smart group. And I go, Dad, are you up for that? He's like, sure, you know, if that's what they want to do. And so I go, and I, I'm really stoked. You know, this is quite an invitation to be back at my old school. And I go up, and I preach my heart out. Didn't go so well. Sometimes it doesn't, you know. Sometimes uh, I'm looking around, the students are sleeping like I used to do when I was one of them, you know. And I did what I always do when it doesn't go so well. I blame the people. I go, this is a hard crowd. Man, woo! That's what I do to you, by the way, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Hard crowd today. And as I sat down and my dad stood up, I thought to myself, oh, man, he's going to crash and burn. This is a hard crowd, Pops. And my dad, in his humble simplicity, opened the word of God and as a banker wanted just to share a few words of what he's learned out of God's word that have been helpful in his life. And as he started, I thought, you know, he's doing pretty good. He's doing better than I did. They're waking up. And as he progressed, it became very evident that the spirit of God was falling on my father. And on the people, the students there. And a very special ministry happened that day in chapel. And it wasn't through me. Boy, was that a little humbling. And I was reminded that day that the professional clergy are not God's only choice. Sometimes they're not God's first choice. God has always been about working through ordinary people priesthood of all believers. After that chapel service, I said to my dad, man, Pops, you can bring it. I said, Dad, do you think you made a mistake going into the business world? Should you have been a pastor? And he says, well, Jeff, you know I considered it back in college. I prayed about it and said, Lord, are you calling me that way? And he said, Jeff, I, feel, I felt back then that God called me into business and to serve as a layman in the church. And he said, as I look at how I've been used by God, I think he had me right where he wanted me, where I could make the most impact for him. And, and I couldn't argue with that. I've seen how God's used my dad at work. I've seen how God's used my dad in the church. He's, he's served for years and years and years in Awana clubs. He's still serving on the elder board of the church. He's served as a leader of a small group and a mid-sized Bible study. My dad has served and served and served and every driven a bus to help people who can't get to church. 
And I realized my dad didn't say, oh, I'm not a pastor like my son, therefore I can't be used. My dad understood, no. Yeah, hopefully God will use my son, but God will use me. Because God used Shamgar, a farmer, a non-professional, and he always did and he always will. That's the heart of God. Let's move on. Going back to uh, our lies. Uh, The first lie, God only uses professionals, and the truth that Connor Jackson contradicts that is the priesthood of all believers. The second lie is, I don't have what it takes. Going back to Shamgar. Shamgar could have said, oh, uh, Maybe God uses non-professionals, but I, I, I don't, I'm not properly equipped. I don't have a sword. I don't have a spear. I, I don't, all I got is a stick. He could have said, I, I don't have military training. He could have said, not only am I not the type of person God uses, but even if he wanted to use me, he couldn't because I, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes to succeed in service to the Lord. Wouldn't that have been a good excuse? And a lot of you may use that excuse. You may say, okay, I'll I'll give that sometimes God uses non-professionals, non-pastors to advance his cause in the local church, but he won't use me because I'm not gifted like some. Your dad sounds like a gifted guy, so God used him, but not me. Shamgar could have had that excuse. But let let me tell you something about Shamgar. You know, he, uh, some of you say, I bet the key to Shamgar's success was his amazing gift with the ox code. You know, he was, you know, is that what it was, his skill with this farming implement? The answer is no. The key to his success was not his own skill, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit empowering him to victory. Let me build my case. Going to a verse here in Judges, Back to our old one. Remember this one? It says, Shamgar, son of Anath, struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. This little phrase is important. He too saved Israel. Who's the two? I mean, who's Shamgar being added to? And the answer is the judges. The book is called The Judges. The book of Judges describes 12 judges. And judges, right away, you're going to think of people in a black robe sitting in a big desk in a courtroom. That's not, how, the term's probably an accurate one. It means one in authority. And what's interesting about the period of the judges is that this was before the kings of Israel. There were no kings in the land. They were led by military heroes. The 12 judges were not born into a royal line. They were not elected into office. They rather demonstrated a spirit anointing by their victory on the battlefield. And then they became leaders of the army. And then in times of peace, they were rulers of the nation as a result. And there were 12 of them. They were the the heroes who saved the day. And this he too saved Israel indicates that Shamgar was one of the 12 judges. All right, that saved the day. Now, what was the defining characteristic of the judges? Holy Spirit anointing. Let me go to another verse earlier in chapter 3. This is speaking of the first judge, Othniel. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge. How do you become a judge? Prove on the battlefield that you are empowered 
by the Spirit. And again and again and again in the book of Judges, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And that's how he won the day. Not his own skill, but the help of the Holy Spirit within him. Sad story is that back in the days of the judges, the only ones who were spirit-empowered were the judges and the prophets. God's people widely were not spirit-empowered. We are fortunate to not live in that time because God now fills everyone with his Holy Spirit. The New Testament talks about a day called Pentecost where God's strategy shifted and God sent his Holy Spirit into every single one of his people, every true Christian. I'll show you a cool verse. Uh, This is 1 Peter 4.10. It says, God has given each, every Christian, that's the each, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts to use them or use them well to serve one another. Every single Christian is empowered or filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit in us does is that he enables us, he gives us an ability or what the Bible calls a spiritual gift to use in service of one another. Serve one another. Actually, this is right where we got that priority out of this verse. Serve one another. The Holy Spirit, you know, fills each Christian, and he's not there just because he was looking for a place to hang out. He's there to enable you to serve him, not not only to serve him, to give you the fruit of the Spirit, to change your personality and character, but one of the important roles is spiritual gifts. Have you studied spiritual gifts much? The Bible lists these abilities like leadership and teaching and administration and hospitality. If you don't know your spiritual gift, I would encourage you to use a tool that's on our website. If you go to our website and there's a little search function, you search spiritual gifts, you'll see, well, first thing that'll pop up is a spiritual gift inventory where you can answer a bunch of questions, process your answers a bit, and it'll indicate, you know, it's not foolproof, but it's pointing to what's probably your spiritual gift. But you've got one. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is in you, and he is desiring to enable you to serve him. And every one of us, we need to find our spiritual gift. Uh, let's go back to our outline. If the, first, or the second lie is, I don't have what it takes, God says, I would agree with you. On your own, you don't have what it takes. But the truth that counteracts that is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The key to Shamgar's success was the assistance of God's Spirit. The key to our success in service of him is not our own natural ability, but his supernatural ability infusing us. Maybe this would help to illustrate Uh, I I was a swimmer in high school. You may not have known that. I competitively swam. I did sprint freestyle. And I was fast. In fact, my kick, woo, you want to see me kick? I have a video of me swimming, and you will be impressed with how fast I can kick. Let's show that video here. There I am. Look at that kick. Hands in the air, and I am just kicking through the water at unbelievably high speeds. And you say, Jeff, that's like amazing. Well, there is a little 
help I'm getting. And my wife's about to do it too. She's not a swimmer, but when she gets the help, watch carefully. Huh? Do you see the dolphin? A dolphin is underwater putting its nose on our feet, pushing us through the water. Watch the fist pump here. My wife is really excited. She's like, yes! <laughs> Boy, was that fun. Maybe some of you have done that. I was a swimmer. I can't go that fast on my own. But when the dolphin, unseen, under the surface, comes up and puts his nose on my feet, he gave me a power to accomplish that which I can never do on my own. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. We may have some ability in our own skill and strength, But when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, he enables us to accomplish so much more. I I have a friend of mine who years ago decided he'd give it a try serving with the kids. And he said to me, Jeff, I'm not very good at children, but there's a need and I'll step into it, I guess. So here goes nothing. And to his amazement, like that dolphin coming up under Jenna and I, so the Spirit of God came into my friend, gave him a passion for children's ministry that he didn't have before, gave him a, a, a love for these kids that he was caught off guard by, gave him an effectiveness in working with these kids, and they bonded to him, and he taught them, and he couldn't believe he was explaining scriptural truth to these kids. He has now served for 15 years in the children's ministry at his church. And he cannot believe the generations of young people who would point to him and say, God used you to change my life. And he's like, I don't know how it happened. I'll I'll tell you how it happened. Spirit of God took an ordinary person, empowered you with effectiveness that you would not have had on your own. Shamgar. What a story. Ordinary guy, simple farmer, who says, I have a lot of excuses. I'm not a soldier, and God uses professionals. He could have said, I don't have what it takes. But, you know, he he risked it all. He said, I don't want to just survive to death safely. I want to live a life of significance. God, I I'm dreaming here, but I I think you might be able to use me. Are you a dreamer? Do you dream about how God might be able to use you to advance his cause, his church? Shamgar dreamt. And he said, maybe you can use me, God. The Spirit of God fell on him. And that simple farmer accomplished things that we're still marveling at 2,500 years later. And God wants to do it again in you. For you to be a dreamer and say, Lord, I'm going to grab my ox code and go. You say, Jeff, I, I don't have an ox code to grab. You know what you have? Shamgar grabbing his ox code and charging is kind of like you grabbing your serve card. Uh, I think you should have received it in your navigator or in the chair before you, but find it. And, and this is an opportunity for you to just say, enough is enough. I'm getting in the game. Let's go. Daryl will explain in a minute how you can use this to explore what your spiritual gift might be. 
and be used by God to advance his cause and change eternity. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for this, this guy Shamgar. Can't wait to meet him in heaven. We thank you for the two verses that you included about him. This farmer used by you and by your spirit to do great things for your cause. God, can we be like Shamgar? We are all painfully aware of our ordinariness. And yet, we're available. God, right now, we make ourselves available. You lead, we will follow. You speak, we're listening, we'll go. God, one life. We want to give it to you in faithful service. Jesus gave his one life to save our souls. We want to give our one life back to him. Lord, make us a church that's not an audience, but an army. In Jesus' name, amen.